Good evening, dear listener, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 7 of Weekend at Crombie's, where we will be discussing the film The First Great Train Robbery. Good evening, dear listener. My name is Dr. James Evans. <laughs> Women voting, really. And I am Hugh. If you've turned nose on me, I'll see you in lavender. <laughs> Very good. Um, yes, and uh, well, good that evening. Wonderful day of, uh, the taste of uh, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> Should give you no 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 clue that <laughs> yes. uh, we are going to be doing uh, the first great train robbery, or if you're not based in the United Kingdom, the great train robbery. Yeah, I did see that because the um, the poster is has it called the great train robbery, but um, everything else is the first great train robbery. So there we go. It's not even on the actual film, is it? It's just the no. great train robbery. Yeah, well, it, yeah. The, 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 the proper title is the great train robbery. Um, it, it's because. With the British connotation of the Great Train Robbery, yeah, they could do the first one. It's like Zootropolis and Zootopia, and I can't yeah, remember which one's about? right. No, I, I think I don't, know, I don't know why they changed it either. No, yeah, because both are kind of sensible, aren't they? Anyway, there we go. Um, yeah, so the first Great Train Robbery. This was Hugh's choice, and um, before we continue, I would like to apologise on behalf of Hugh if he does um, collapse in a fit of coughing. Um, not in the best of health at the moment. It's the 60 cigarettes a day habit that he has taken <laughs> up since we've started Week in the Crombies. I jest, of course, no. Um, Last but, month uh, you were battling through COVID and this month it's my turn. Yeah. It's, but it's he, like there's some kind of pandemic we let that passed through <laughs> the uh, the electronic wires of our podcast. So <laughs> Indeed. It was my fault for not wearing a mask. But even so, he will be doing the heavy lifting. Um, so I'll just apologise for him in advance. But anyway, huge. do you want to take it away? The first great train robbery. I will. I'll also apologise if at any point James has to pick up the slack and, and give any any synopsis because uh, we all know where that leads um, yeah but. exactly you don't I, I watched this yesterday and i can't remember much <laughs> so the uh, the scene is uh, 1855 in uh, victorian england and the crimean war is in, in, in effect and this is important because every month the uh, the troops of the crimean war are paid in gold and that gold is shipped from london to folkestone where it's shipped off to the crimea it's and, tropical uh, as well isn't it <laughs> <laughs> how it begins yes it is indeed uh, so they're all paid um, in their gold, um, and this, of course, um, that's twenty-five thousand uh, pounds. Yeah, <laughs> this is it is a bit like the um, Austin Powers thing, isn't it? One million dollars. Well, it actually works out to about two million pounds. So it's does it? Yeah, yeah. So well, in, in spending money, it's it's not bad. Um, no, not bad at all. So uh, so we we hear the um, the narration of uh, of Sean Connery uh, played who plays Edward Pierce, but we don't know yet. But we we hear him talk about how how this has all happened. So the uh, the bank loads the gold up. They take an unfamiliar route every time to to the train station. The gold is then loaded onto the the rail car at the back of the train, where it's locked into two different chub safes uh, with four different keys, two for each safe. And these keys are shared around the various uh, officials of the train, um, so that's never held in one in one possession. And and then the gold is shipped to Folkestone. So, um, although two of the keys are in the office next to the train, which I found slightly odd. 
<laughs> yes, but I'd guess these are these are the keys to save one and two, so they can't be open. Oh, yes, okay. You yes. wouldn't just have one safe that could be open from. <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose. Yeah, that's uh, fair enough. But nonetheless, they're, saying that they're laying out how difficult it is. And in fact, to show difficult it is, they show some chance of trying to get into the key. Basically, as a, he basically jumps on the uh, the train car and has a big fist fight with the guard who's inside the train van mm. and gets punched out of the train and falls over and breaks his neck. The guard, Hugh. It's Boone. I know, Michael Elphick. <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that. So, yeah, Michael Elphick is, is Burgess, the, uh, the, yeah. the train guard. But um, so that's, that's the... Uh, the the, the 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 basically that's that's the heist isn't it it's how do you get this gold off the train when it's all locked up in keys and the train's yeah. moving and it's got a guard and all this kind of business uh so we we then cut to a gentleman's club um where lots of i mean they're they are casting call victor and gentlemen got oh, huge shots they're either very old or very fat or both um, yeah and and they're literally again as, as your quote from the game they are saying things exactly things like you know women voters <laughs> i can't yeah. imagine the, women voters. what what do you expect when one in seven men are allowed to vote nowadays yeah. It's straight out of the other uh, Titanic thing of Picasso. I can't imagine it calls Picasso being a good artist. Uh, <laughs> I always like to see Peter Butterworth in a film, though. Oh, yes, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. There you go. But, For um, all our Carry On fans out there. <laughs> but, uh, but cutting a dash through this is, uh, mm. is a piss. A shed Very piss. dapper. Yeah, he's Sean Connery and he's, he's post-Bond, but oh. pre-everything oh. else stage. And pre-Bond, too. Oh well, he comes back. Post and pre, yeah. yeah. But this is this is the stage when he's um he did he did um was it was it um Outland where the um yes it was pre Outland wasn't it yeah, Outland was it, eighty or eighty one but he's in that kind of era almost trying to find himself a little bit yeah he's in the stage where he's, he's got the very close cropped beard and hanging mm. on to most of his hair um, looking great though oh yes um so he's he's, he's Edward Pierce a, a basically a, a gentleman about town he's uh, he's been quite cagey he's a dandy about isn't he. We, well, stand, not not quite a dad. No, he's, um, a cad. He, he does business. You know, he just, he, no, he's, yeah, he, he's not a cad either, is he, James? Come on. <laughs> I'm not the one with COVID. <laughs> he's, he's he's liked by his fellows, and they don't quite know what he does, but they know he's successful at what he does. Um, and he does. Um, and actually, one of his mates is uh, is Mr. Henry Fowler, who's the manager of the Folkestone Bank, mm. um, played by Malcolm Terrace, who. Uh, um, who again? He has a good line in red-faced, mutton-chopped Englishman. Um, <laughs> yeah. We actually saw him in a, in a previous weekend of Crombies. He was in the Bounty as the, yes. uh, the red-faced, mutton-chopped doctor who died <laughs> I was from say, gout yeah. or whatever. There's a lot of crossover <laughs> in um, late seventies and early seven, uh, early eighties kind of British film in there. In this, yeah. And, and Henry Fowler is talking about you know how impossible it is to get this because the president holds a key and he holds a key and the man the, the the station manager holds two keys so you can't even get to the case and the train's moving and it's locked and all this kind of business it's impossible no one could ever <laughs> rob a train and, and kind of, how do you know it's never been done before <laughs> excuse me um yeah and and pierce i almost thought that was the moment when pierce wanted to do it because he's like oh it's never been yeah. done maybe I, I thought that was the spark but yeah. it turns out no he's been casing the joint for ages because then we see him next in with his mistress um miriam played by leslie and dowd um and he's talking about how what, leslie and down not dowd i, see, I do apologize nothing no, dowdy about there isn't there isn't no, nothing uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's it. don't break my flow i've got it's like when alan partridge stabs <laughs> his foot when he goes don't shine the torch my face well i'm like what's half a pint of blood here <laughs> also, the, the, the phrase "there's nothing dowdy about Leslie and Down" is slightly partridge-esque as well. That's very partridge-esque. <laughs> Not like dowdy a... at all, is she? <laughs> Channeling the misogyny of late Victoriana, aren't we? <laughs> um, 
well anyway so um yeah so she she and and pierce are in cahoots to to rob this train they're, they're pretty much the brain trust of it um and so uh pierce having found out the basic knowledge now begins to kind of recruit his gang he's got he's got some kind of butler slash driver who doesn't do much but is kind of on hand but what he really needs is uh, what they call a screwsman yeah, he's a screwman, doesn't he yeah. he's a Trent, that was that's Trent. Um, yeah. uh, he needs a screwsman who's basically a guy, a guy who could make keys and pick locks and do all this kind of clever stuff. And he finds his screwsman in the form of Donald Sutherland, who's uh, who's playing Agar. Um, screwsman, who's uh, he's, he's Agar. <laughs> he does a fantastic turn, Donald Sutherland. He's this, he's directly in an enormous top hat with again a huge beard and everything. And um, he's I uh, quite work out if he was Irish or English. I think he was definitely playing Irish. Um, was he? Yeah, he may have, must have been. Yeah, and indeed he's um again he's, he's everything's done with a flourish like you know he's he's a he's a master pickpocket and he he's constantly mm. fluttering cracking his fingers going my hummingbirds, um, <laughs> and so they 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 recruit him after seeing him um again uh, do a uh, do a pickpocket in the street um it's quite nicely laid out as well you see the whole kind of operation work um yeah yeah you do. And, and so he he basically says, you know, firstly we need to case a joint. So he's casing the president of the bank, who's this very old man, um, and apparently has no vices. It's very annoying. He doesn't drink. He doesn't like women. He doesn't do anything. But they find out he does like to to rat, which means to take his little terrier dog to a a ratting den, where basically they furlough live live rats into a pit and bet on how fast the dog will kill them all. Um, so this is seen as uh, who's the compare? Who oh, is the, the compare? Ryan Glover. <laughs> Who else? Yeah, it could only have been <laughs> doing a fantastic job. Who would like to try a rat? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so he ingratiates himself with this person by admiring his his evil rat killing dog, <laughs> um, and and basically uh, Edward Pierce now just goes, you know, Ooh, um, you know, what a lovely pursuit. I'm I'm, I'm such a shame that I'm far too wealthy and successful to have ever married. Um, at which point. <laughs> It's not something you usually associate with single people, would it? Ratty. No, yeah. <laughs> well, this guy pricks his up because he's got an unmarried stepdaughter, but he's, you know, I think he'd imagine wants to foist off onto someone. Um, so, yeah. The next scene is um, is Edward Pierce having a garden tea with, uh, firstly, uh, this president's second wife, who's a lot younger and quite taken with Sean Connery herself. Um, it's an extraordinary amount of innuendo now. It's a massive dublon tongue when they're talking about... Um, they're thought that basically they, they're meant to be talking about building this this edifice in the garden, but there's lots of talks about you know long long bolts and deep screws and, uh, and problem yeah. and this kind of stuff. I mean, is is referencing a strong erection actually an innuendo? It's a single I mean, entendre, it, isn't it? It's not even a dish; just it's just it, isn't it? It's a, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's, yeah, it's an entendre. But uh, nonetheless, he uh, the the um, the the daughter is introduced to, to Pierce. It was probably completely taken with him, and he takes her. He goes off for a walk with her, and um, obviously the the stepdaughter is is slightly dowdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah Leslie and Dowd, um, as as they do their plans, kind of uh, pumping information, saying, "Is she pretty? Is she dowdy? Is she, is she? Or whatever?" Um, as, as she's in the process, of basically removing all her clothing in front of him. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Sean Connery basically casually eats grapes. <laughs> It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> because you've got this end, it's, it's all quite tasty. You kind of just see the, the back of it. She's kind of peeling yeah. off stockings and throwing off corsets yeah. and kind of just like eating grape after grape as, yeah. he, as he lays out his plan. His plan is basically to charm the daughter and case some more information off him, which he yeah. eventually does because the daughter um, 
reveals that oh Tihi, her father you know may seem like a, a teetotaler but she happens to know that he goes to the wine cellar the morning of every shipment to the bank to settle his nerves um and so he, 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 the thing is i'd work this out that he keeps the key in the wine cellar we didn't need a voiceover because right. we, we then get sean connery smiling and nodding and we get a voice going he keeps the key in the bloody wine cellar like, <laughs> yeah we, we'd caught up with that <laughs> yeah. So there's some hijinks where um, where Agar and Pierce have to sneak into the house and they um they they go down into the wine cellar and Agar keeps sneezing and was um, blowing the gaff but they they take their first cup of the key they they get the key and they uh, basically he's got a little um nice little case with wax in it that he presses the key into so we can make Very his copy nice, and and then we get the the um the nice device of this this leather case and key number one is placed into it so you get a little countdown of how many keys are left. Uh, yeah, you do, don't you? Uh, the next key is probably the easiest of them all because this, this is um, our friend Henry Fowler, um, who again, being ready cheeked and chopped, is also a terrible womanizer. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> basically, cops the sight of, of Miriam uh, and basically says, "I must have her, Edward. I must." <laughs> so, so um, Miriam, I think they she is an actress. I think they, she, she's been an actress in the past, so she's yeah. kind of, she's very good at playing every role. So she plays um, this French courtesan, um, who basically yeah, they take it to this. this burlesque house where she um, goes oh you must remove all your clothing this year <laughs> so she she basically peels off peels off all his yeah. clothes including the key he keeps around his neck and is never supposed to remove at this point yeah. he's far too horny to care about what, what he should or should not do so <clears throat> everything's thrown onto the chair where where agar is hiding behind the curtain he takes a copy of the key um miriam is is not too pleased about having to go through with this whole thing um no. But uh, but Edward came to her rescue. So she's like you know tying and untying her bows rapidly, yeah. trying to trying to desperately eat. trying not to get undressed. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's it's the longest anyone has not got undressed. <laughs> In fact, at one point she does the she does a bow back up. She does she does the bow, does it back up again, so she can undo the bow. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's, she's got yeah a face like thunder when she's not looking at Peter, at um, yeah. Fowler. But uh, Pierce comes to a rescue. He fakes a raid on the whole house and basically. Um, so he, yeah, um, he basically drags uh, Henry out with his trousers on his ankle, saying, "We must get away, Henry. We must." I'm um, ruined. Yes. So uh, I think that was meant to show that uh, that Edward Pierce does think something of Miriam. Um, yeah. That he would, he would actually have a sleep with uh, Henry Fowler. Although we're never quite sure, are we? Oh no, we'll, we'll come to the character mm. of Pierce because it's a complete mm. cipher. In fact, there, there was a w one point when um, somewhere between stockings and grapes, um, she basically <laughs> she. She's asking because he talks about he's gone to America or this kind of stuff, yeah. and he basically says, "Have you ever been to America?" "No, never." And he goes, "Do you tell anyone the truth?" "No, yeah. I don't." <laughs> it's like yeah. he's very happy about being a compulsive liar and and keeping himself out of mystery. <coughs> yeah, because there's another bit when she's she's giving him a wet shave, and that's not a euphemism. Oh. Um, and uh, she says she talks about the first time they met, or uh, when he was courting her, or something like that, and yeah. he gave her flowers, and she thought he gave him her flowers, but he didn't. Or did he? Yes. He says yeah. he says they weren't from me, and then she believes him, and then he says I actually got them from the grave. They were cheap, so it was worth it. And yeah. she's never quite sure if he's telling the truth or not. But she's got a cutthroat razor to his throat. Yeah, yeah. Saying, did you yeah. bring me flowers? And I think at this yeah. point I would have relented, saying, Yeah, I got you yeah, all the flowers. Yeah, bloody expensive they were too. <laughs> I'd have added. Yeah, but he's uh, yeah he's playing close to chess. But so two keys down, two more to go. But the last two are the real tricky ones. Oof. Because they are held in the railway office, which is um, up, up, it's on the railway station, up a flight of stairs in a glass sides office, so no cover anywhere, and of course a busy railway station. So attempt number one is quite comical, where they they get a, a child um, pickpocket to to fake a pickpocketing, and basically um, he snatches a, a Miriam's bag, and Edward and Agar chase him into this um, 
this room. And the idea is Edward will cause such a kerfuffle chasing the pickpocket that Eager has time to unpick the, the cabinet and get the keys. And it is quite common because he's, he's running around um, basically bashing the poor clerks on the head with his head. <laughs> you know, terribly sorry as he like tips the chairs and smacks them about and this kind of stuff. And <clears throat> chaos is duly caused, but it's just not long enough to give Agar that time to, to both open the, the cabinet and get the keys. And so. Agar is absolutely convinced it can't be done. Yeah, it's, Only it's, one person only one person can do it, and he's at the new gate. This is the thing. They, they think you can't get in there in daytime. Yeah. So we say, what about not? What if someone got in there at night? And so there's, a, there's a kind of roof. There's a roof skylight, light, isn't there? Skylight. Yeah, that's skylight. Yeah. But who, yeah, who could climb up there and get through that small skylight? No one except for. When to, sleep. When sleep. <laughs> AKA Clean <laughs> Willie. Yeah. Um, and if anyone thinks that's a joke, it's actually Wayne Sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is Wayne Sleep. Um, <laughs> Uh, and he's a snakesman, apparently, which is like a cat burglar. Um, so um, having got a screwsman, then I go snakesman. They really are assembling their gang. It's great fun. Um, so they, they need they need um, clean wood. He's the best in the business. He could scale the sheer wall and um, and get in there. So the idea is he would he'll go at night because there is a seventy five second window opportunity between the the night patrolman drinking his beer and going off to the toilet and coming back. Yeah. And in that seventy five seconds, if Clean Willie has got inside already, picked the cabinet and opened the door, then um, Agar should be able to run in, make the copies and get out. And that's that's the entire caper. So first they've got to get Clean Willie out. And this, this is done very simply by um, Pierce just saying, tell him to climb out of Newgate. So no one can escape Newgate. Tell him to do it or he's not Clean Willie. Um, <laughs> so, <coughs> and so he duly does. He, um, he scales the wall. When he say he scales the wall, he scales a near a vertical wall yeah. that's roughly like 30, 40 feet high. Something like that. And then, um, and then over some some kind of spiked railings. Yeah, and then across the rooftops, and then he gets there. And when we say he scales the wall, Wayne actually scales the wall. Yeah. I wondered how much of this was real and how much of it was kind of like, you know. And cuts his hand. I'm saying that yeah. wasn't real. But no, I know, but yeah, it, shot, if, it, if shot, that was real, that's impressive. <clears throat> well, yeah, the, the shot when he goes up the wall is a real yeah. person going up a real wall. Yeah. And apparently... Wait, Sleep said, I can't do this, I'm not a stuntsman. And they said, look, we haven't got a five foot two stuntsman, you're going to have to do it. So and also, I suppose my view would be, if you're going to, if you're going to cast, if you're going to cast Wayne Sleep, yeah. he's got to do it. Yeah, I mean. Otherwise, yeah. why cast him? Yeah, I mean, he's, because he, with the best will in the world, he's not, his Cockney accent. He's not accent, an actor, is he? His Cockney accent isn't the greatest, but of course, he's a fantastic mover. Um, he's a dancer. Yeah. He's a dancer, not an actor. So he's got to do that. Yeah, I love, I love the fact that had this been 30 years later, you'd have got someone who did parkour to do it. But yeah, this, is, this is 1977 yeah. and you get a ballet dancer because <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how you work. <coughs> but sure enough, Clean Willie has broken out. So now they've got their they've got their snakesmen. So all they need to do is, is they have a couple of dry runs where, um, where Agar basically exhausts himself trying to get it in 25 seconds, but he thinks he can do it. Um, and and sort of he so clean really breaks in he opens a lot of stuff Agar makes a mad dash for it there's lots of there's a great countdown when they're all because you know, um, Pierce is monitoring from outside Willie's inside counting down Agar was frantic trying to find the keys and, and, and make impressions but you know with with a mere second to spare they do it they get the final they fourth do. and final key ta-da brilliant it's, it was uh, touch and go though because the door opens Oh yeah, because he really breaks in, and as he's yeah. as he's panting, having done the whole thing, he forgets he's left the door open. Swinging. Yeah, like an idiot. 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it wraps up the tension because they, they, they it give this, it's very atmospheric. I mean, train stations are great for this kind of stuff anyway. Yeah, they are. And, yeah. and train stations are great and Victorian era filming, you know, that kind of look. Yeah. It's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? Because you've got, you've got Pierce and Agar hiding in the shadows. Oh, yeah. down, the policeman is doing his rounds, all this kind of stuff. Um, very atmospheric. <laughs> <coughs> so all the four keys are assembled. Um, they have a dry run, actually, where, where Agar, because when there's no gold in the van, they can, the, keys, the, the safe is obviously still in the van. So Agar travels on the, 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 the guard's van, tests the four keys. They open. Brilliant. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? The next week is the big shipment, um, and it's all good, except for uh, Clean Willie spoils the plans. He has been... on them. Well, no, he, he goes back to pickpocketing. Um, yeah. Now he's been paid off, and he um, he gets caught. Uh, and but he rats on them. Yeah, he he, uh, he turns nose on them all. Uh, so uh, excuse me. So he turns he uh, he turns evidence on them all. So they don't know really what they're doing, except for it's to do with keys and it's to do with train stations. Yeah. So the inspector actually isn't an idiot. He works out what's going on. Um, <coughs> but he he tries to get um, Willie to to trap Pierce, and they they do that by arranging a meeting and. Um, you know, clean reach says I need a bit more money. I'll be fine. Just yeah, just a t yeah, well, so just a well, just a tanner say, then I'll be good. Um, at which point, yeah, um, Pierce threatens him. Um, I think it's the first. It's also the first time really you see Pierce slightly a slightly darker version of Pierce. This is what I was thinking. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. up until that point, he's been he's been a. It's been quite a jolly ride, hasn't it? It's yeah. it's one of those kind of oh, it's an entertaining. Um, kind of, you know, planning of a robbery, and then suddenly you realise actually Edward Pierce, he's an, a bit of an unsavoury character. This was the moment, yeah, because because yeah. um, he, he he clocks that that Willie's been after him. He escapes the police trap, but then Willie tries to get away and is kind of chased through the streets of London and is killed by Trent. Literally, he's he's, Ooh, he's strangled. Yeah, he's he's breathing heavily against the wall, having got away, and then an arm comes in. It's Trent's arm, and he just chokes him off. Mm. And that's it. He's, he's murdered. So this is a, this is the first and only death of the. Um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Proper right. guy who gets knocked off the train at the beginning. Yeah. This is this yeah, is the yeah. proper character getting killed yeah. by our heroes. Um, so it is a bit of a turn. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, that's dealt with. But however, um, the police are now alert to the fact that they must be going after the gold shipment. So to to add extra precautions, they put a padlock on the outside of the, the baggage car. So that's going to be a problem. They say no one's allowed to travel inside the baggage car. So that's going to be a problem. And they're going to inspect every container that could fit a man in in the baggage car. So mm. three new twists have been added at that very moment. Um, so they've got to, work, got to think quickly on their feet here. Um, and actually, Agar is ranting about this because he thinks the whole plan's scuppered. He's he is he's laying out exactly why it's impossible. And Pierce, to begin with, fair, is just sitting there silently contemplating until he just yeah. concludes, "Bring me a dead cat." <laughs> no, well, yeah, because Agar, <laughs> after after ranting for like you know five minutes about how the 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 heist is not going to be able to happen, he says, "Come on, what have you got to say for yourself?" And then he says, "Bring me a dead cat." Very good. But he didn't do that in a Sean Connery accent. <laughs> Did I not? <laughs> no, I was surprised and disappointed. Uh, but anyway, a dead, dead cat is is procured because um, a poor Agar now has to um, masquerade as a corpse, uh, a collar, a collar, a victim. Yeah, yeah. Miriam is his is his um, bereaved sister. Um, and in fact, she's the one who uh, who is convinced because the little bell on top, the bell starts swaying in the wind, and she insists they open it up. Um, so, so it, it just to assuage their opinions, she's the one insisted it opens up rather than them. Yeah. And in fine, they find a very ill-looking um, Agar, <laughs> stinking of a dead cat underneath him. Um, so uh, they think, okay, the, the coffin can go in there. 
Um, and so Miriam and Pierce will ride on the train and Pierce's plan is he'll jump out, run across the, the roof and pick the key from behind and, and then they can do the caper. So it almost goes uh, to plan, except for Henry Fowler is also taking the train. Um, so Pierce manages to fob him off by saying, would you would you ride with Miriam, who he doesn't recognise um, no. because she's now she's now um, uh, affecting an Eliza Doolittle accent. <laughs> Like oh, Miss Miss, uh, oh, very pleased to meet you, ma'am. <laughs> well, she 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 kind of has to be in the carriage with him, otherwise Pierce won't be able to leave the carriage and go on top of the train, will he? So it's kind of important. Yeah, she needs to distract Farrah so yeah. Pierce can be alone in his first class carriage. Yeah. Um, that's when the train starts going. He um, wait, and this is again the, the train is bustling along, and Pierce climbs out of his carriage, climbs up on the roof, and starts to make his way back. <laughs> Um, across this moving train with a lot of bridges. So in every oh. drop down so he doesn't get smushed on the bridge. Um, what stretch of line did they use for that? Because I tell you what, there were so many bridges. With all them bridges, your friend mate, he's mad. We should yeah. point out that Burgess the guard has been bribed and tipped off yeah. at this point. Um, yeah, but he's, he's no good with the, with a locked carriage anyway. All he can do is look the other way. Yeah. So, so uh, he, after much, much effort, he manages to make his way to the end of the train. Um, he then lowers himself down and, and unpicks the lock just in time um, to uh, load up the gold and fling it off to their waiting uh, henchman, Trent. Um, although at this point, uh, Agar notices that having made his way back, Pierce is covered in soot. Um, so he he's got a change of clothes, has he? He's got a change of clothes. So <laughs> he strips Agar, as he says, stark bollock naked. <laughs> he's just out of his long johns now. Um, and uh, he takes his clothes because he's going back in the coffin. He locks them back up um, and uh, the gold's been replaced by lead bars back in the safe. The safe has been locked again. And, and and so Pierce, now having no time to waste, doesn't kind of cautiously go on the train. He basically sprints yeah, he <laughs> across does, the he? top of the train um, until he jumps in his carriage at the, as soon as it pulls into Folkestone. Um, Changes clothes, few the day saved. At this point, we, we intercut between them, um, Fowler trying to make the moves on Miriam. I think he calls it the uh, the 50 mile an hour club, which is uh, <laughs> yeah, which is uh, because of the mile high club. <laughs> and in fact, she, she's giving as good as she gets. She's she's throwing in lots of double entendres. She goes, Oh, if a gent likes you, we'll give you a little token, won't he? You've got a little token, sir. <laughs> um, but she did when he, when he makes a ledger, she beats him off with her, yeah. with her person. Uh, oh, sir, what were you thinking? What could you take me for? Um, so they all make it back uh, and it, it's all good. They, uh, they've all made it across. The, she accompanies the coffin with Agar back onto the carriage. They, they ride away. Um, but the police inspector is still there kind of giving beady eyes out. And I think what gives Sean Connery away it's is the fact split, that isn't it? he's put on Agar's jacket, which is mm. an Agar's a small and not so broad as, as, as Pierce. And so when he puts the jacket on, it rips all the way down the back, which of course is not what a gentleman would wear. So as soon as the inspector is, is casting round, he sees this split and, and basically jumps on Pierce. Pierce is arrested Arrest and he's that caught. Man, he Arrest that man. So the rest of the gang get away. They've got the gold, but Pierce is not. He's, he's brought to trial um, and seems completely unrepentant. He's, he's in the gold. He gives away the whole scheme because he says uh, the police seemed quite confused. Uh, <laughs> the judge uh, then go, lays into him that despicable act and they, it's moral moral ambivalence. They're basically saying, why did you do it? Why did you break every law of man and property? Why did you why did you do such a despicable crime? And Pierce is, again, true to his character of not giving a face, goes, I wanted the money. <laughs> 
<laughs> which the crowd likes. <laughs> oh, that's that's Hopkins esque. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I got them in. The crowd, the crowd loves this, and as he leaves to presumably the gallows <laughs> or to get twenty years, they say um, they're all cheering him. And in fact, a, a, a young lady throws herself at him and plants a big old kiss on his lips before she's dragged away. Well, who is it? Uh, who is it? It's Miriam in one of her many disguises because what she's planted in, as well as a kiss is a, is a key in his mouth. So as he's being, as a, it's quite subtly done actually, considering this film veers between very unsubtle, he keeps the key in the wine cellar. Yeah. Um, this is actually quite nicely played because you see it's Miriam, but then you wonder what's going on. He's quite discreetly undoing his handcuffs, at which point he punches out all the guards around him, jumps yeah. onto the prison wagon. He doesn't wait, does he? Which is being driven by Agar, uh, and just goes, "What are you waiting for?" And then they gallop off into the sunset. So that's, um, that's the end, isn't it? That's the end. The uh, the gang has got away, and uh, and he's made his clean getaway. Nicely done, Hugh. Thank I you mean, very much. Given that's you know there was the odd cough, but other than that, I think you've done a sterling job. Um, and that was the first great train robbery. Um, I'm looking forward to diving into this a little bit and to understand a little bit why Hugh chose the film, for it was indeed his choice. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to have to rely on Hugh again for some witty quips, but um, <laughs> please do come back and we'll dive a little bit more into the themes of the film. Welcome back, dear listener. Um, oh, crikey. Okay, I trust that you have... We have now pulled into Folkestone and fished the <sighs> dead cat out of our coffin Put, and oh. are now prepared to... <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> ...to retrieve How? our gold bullion and, uh, and make our clean getaway. How do you do it? You, you know, like, I'm just trying to think, can you think of a film where there's a double act and one character is so clearly the most valuable player? <laughs> Whatever film that is, you are that character. <laughs> <laughs> this can only be carry on follow that camel when Phil Silvers was, uh, was drafted in to add a touch of American class to the British team. Well, there we are. You are Phil Silvers and I am Bernard Breslau. Oh, don't do that. No, that's, actually, that's no, not fair, is it? That's not fair to Bernard at all. Jim Dale. <laughs> no, let's not. No, let's let's not besmirch Jim Dale. Well, who then? There aren't many others. Can't say Kenneth Williams or Sid James, for God's sake. No, no. Who's the uh, who's, who's the other Kenneth? Kenneth Horton. Kenneth. Uh, no, Kenneth Cranham. No. Yeah, I know who you mean. He was in Rent-A-Ghost. Yeah, then we'll do him. That'll do. <laughs> We're drifting off a little bit. We are, we are. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yes, so uh, I, James, would you like to ask me why I chose this film? <laughs> yeah, I can do. Why did you choose this film? <laughs> no, um, intrigued. Um, I'd never heard of this film. Had you not? No, no, never heard of it at all. So Isn't there that... we go, okay, which is what? weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, firstly, it's a train film. We haven't had a train film before. <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't. Only if it, have we only had one train film? I think. We see. I was I was uh, showing this to my good lady wife, and she goes, "Oh, you always do train films, don't you?" I thought we've done we've done what? what? <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly such an impact that we we, yeah. know, we we appear to do. I suppose Juggernaut was the other one, like as in things that that they move forward at an irresistible force. Not a train, though, is it? <laughs> it's definitely not a train, but it's a you know, it's a thing that that moves that can't be stopped. So. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. Vehicular. We, we do vehicular films every now and again. Every now, yeah. Well, I suppose yes, in the sense that there is a finite amount of genres we can choose. Yeah. But I will say that wasn't my primary reason. No, the no, reason okay, is, fine. I was going to say that's a terrible. <laughs> this did tickle my nostalgia button. Is the reason yeah, it came okay. in because to me, um, I saw this um, on a, a bank holiday Sunday on ITV, and this to me is a quintessential bank holiday Sunday on ITV ah, film. Yeah, okay. um, it's it's got that period feel, so it could even you know. 
and ITV was big in period in the eighties. It like kind of it picked this up, you know. Um, so it could have been almost a made-for-TV movie, um, apart from the, again, the quality of the stars and the production values. But it's got that feel to it. It's got that kind of like you know Hercule Poirot um, ITV look to it. Um, but of course, great production values in the sense of it's it's uh, it's Victorian. We'll come to that. So basically, yeah, I uh, I remembered it from that, having you know seen it then and been quite impressed by it. And I just I was curious how it held up because again the cast, you know, Sean Connery, yeah. Donald Sutherland, good cast in it. Um, the plot, as I remembered, was was quite a nice rollicking plot, and it's by Michael Crichton. So yeah. obviously much famed as a writer and kind of a, a, a well, Jurassic inspired. Park, for example, Jurassic Park, Westworld. Um, yeah. So, uh, so as an imagineer, someone who inspires great ideas, um, not you know terribly well known as a director, um, and didn't do an awful lot after this, director wise. Um, so yeah, I was I was curious to see you know, what a Michael Crichton directing film looked like. Um, he'd written the book himself. I remembered it fondly, and I was yeah, I was uh, again. I'm always interested in that period of Sean Connery's yeah. career because that's, that's I think that's the interesting bit of his uh, his career. Um, so uh, I thought yeah, we'd give it away. Well, it's interesting because I've I mean I'm not saying that I'm the great oracle of of all films, but given what you have described there we are not dissimilar in the way that we attach um nostalgia to films and the methods by which that happens so in in, in the mid 80s i would probably have watched plenty of films on itv um and this i i honestly this has just passed me by mm. um and i don't know why because if you if you would have seen it and look you know <laughs> you, you're not that much older than me you are you um <laughs> <laughs> um, My coughing ages me. Ah, it does. Um, uh, unless I have seen this and it's just, you know, fallen out of my consciousness. Yeah. Um, and it's also the kind of film that I would enjoy, but probably more importantly, the kind of film that my dad would love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I don't know why I wouldn't have watched it with him because it's exactly the kind of thing. As you say, bank holiday or Sunday afternoon or something like that. Yeah. After you've had your Sunday roast, um, Desmond Carrington has just finished on Radio 4. You've got a bit of time in the afternoon. Thank goodness you've come back from church. You don't have to do that again for another week. And, uh, oh, look, the great train robbery or the first great train robbery is on, on the TV again. Why don't we watch it? Anyway, yeah, exactly. it, it, it's a bit like it's got that kind of. I don't know. So I'm not sure whether this is a, a it's maybe damning with faint praise. To a certain extent. It does have that kind of ITV, as you say, Hercule Poirot yeah. kind of feel to it, but kind of ratcheted yeah. up a level. Yeah. And I don't mean to disparage you like that because no. it, it looks there's great. A, there's but, a time but, and a place for that, isn't there? Yeah. But when you when you factor in the other films of this era, I mean, we'll come into why it wasn't a big success. But, you know, this is coming out against Star Wars and Jaws and E.T. and this kind of stuff. It's this, so this surely had a different market, though. <laughs> Yeah, but when you think about the the, the 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 films, how you describe cinema of this era, it's 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 not this kind of stuff, really. I don't think. Um, so it, it's got a, even though you know it's, it's got, I guess just you know the steam trains, the um, mm. the, uh, the the English backdrop sweeping by, the Victoriana. It's not cheap, but it's got that TV movie feel to it because oh. that's the kind of stuff that TV TV production yeah, would do. I know what you mean. Yeah, I, and I it's, agree with that. Yeah, and I guess if a, a TV show of the time would have looked a lot cheaper, but a TV say ten years ahead. By the time this was coming out on, yeah. on on that thing was about par because you know the Hercule Poirot, for example, I know it's 1930s, different time, but mm. um, I would say the Sherlock Holmes actually that's much much probably is more accurate. The production yeah. values on those were actually very very good, um, like a Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Yes, exactly, yeah. Jeremy yeah. Brett Sherlock Holmes. Um, they would they would probably use clever t uh, production techniques to disguise the fact they didn't have these budgets, but you would you would you would set that in the same aside at the same level as this, thinking, oh yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice ITV movie to watch. That's nice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, yeah, com yeah, completely agree with that. It's uh, it's certainly got that vibe to it. Um, okay, well, that's really interesting. Um, as I say, I'm, I, 
completely passed me by. Never heard of it. Yeah. Never heard. And you know, there's, there's some there's talent in this as well. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's talent in it. And also, I mean, you, not just Michael Crichton as the director. You've got Jeffrey Unsworth of the, as the cinematographer, yeah. um, who um, is the he shot one of my favourite films of all time, which is A Matter of Life and Death. Mm-hmm. Um, the Powell and Pressburger film also did the life and death of Colonel Blimp, which is a great one. Also shot Superman oh. as well in 78. So, you know, it's got chops. It's got, it's got a lot of, um, is this film dedicated to him? So we didn't have much longer. Yeah, I think it is. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. Um, but as you say, it's, uh, yeah, I, I passed me by completely, completely. <laughs> but yeah, tell us about the themes of the film. Yeah. Well, um, again, it's, I quite admire its simplicity because it's basically Ocean's Eleven in the Victorian era. Um, <laughs> you've you've got a, a heist, a target. You've got you got to get the gang together. Each one's got his own speciality. Um, and again, even because I, 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 I thought that as soon as I saw it, but when you compare it, you know, if you think about it, you know, you've got George Clooney, Brad Pitt. They uh, you know they have many talents, but they can also play the just looking good and being cool. Roles. Oh yeah, they can. And if oh, you were so t- could Sean Connery. And that's Dennis exactly Sutherland. what I was thinking. If you if you were going to pick <laughs> the Ocean's Gang of that yeah, time, um, you'd right. probably pick that because all Sean Connery does. Donald Sutherland again, he's a bit more animated. He's kind of the character role, but Sean Connery is basically just looking good and being cool. Mm. Um, well, actually, an interesting stunt work, which we'll come to later on. But it's 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 that. So it's it's it's. I like a good heist movie, and this I think is a good heist movie. It's um, you've got your target, you've got your obstacles, you know exactly what the stakes are, and the obstacles of how to get these things. You've got you've got a you're you're taken through the process. Like I say, the key is a the keys are a very nice countdown. of like you must acquire these tokens before you're allowed to move to the next stage of the plot. Um, we know we know what the heist is. We 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 they dry run it for us. We know when it goes wrong and have to think around it. There's a couple, there's a couple of you know a couple of twists at the end, which is always a mark of a good heist movie. Um, and it's again, I would say we've touched this before. Had it not been for the brutal murder of Clean Willie, I'd be, yeah. I'd, be I'd be much more kind of like this is a romp. I love it. Yeah, this. Um, it could, yeah, it, it go. Yeah, you're right because it goes from being like a you almost, doesn't it? You know, a certificated yeah. you. There's not much in it. I mean, I suppose there's the there's the the guy Sex. falling off the I mean, oh, this bit. Yeah, I suppose there is. So maybe a PG. Yeah, I guess. But that murder just take it up a level, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. And it's it's not needed because um, because yeah. plot wise, um, Clean Willie has told all he knows, so they're already alerted that he could have just go back to Newgate. They could have, he could have tried to hand over Pierce. Pierce gets away, but the police are alerted, which is what sets into motion the final act of the film, which is they've added more precautions. So mm. nothing about his life or death matters, other than to show how ruthless Pierce is. But that doesn't help us like Pierce. No, it doesn't. I mean, you you kind of like Pierce anyway, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I liked him a lot more before he murdered Clean. Yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And um, it, well, I'll come on. I'll come on to the kind of what what I think about that in, in a bit, actually, because um, I think that's quite an interesting bit of the film, and you get glimpses of of Connery's um, or sorry, Edward Pierce's perhaps darker side, but but that's yeah. where it really comes to comes to the front. Um, you were saying, you know, the, the Brad Pitts and the George Clooney's. I think, I think you're right. Connery and Sutherland are very good. I think the only other, well, maybe one of the other duos that might have been able to pull something like this off, if it, not a British film necessarily, but you, you know, the kind of Robert Redford um, and um, Paul Newman type character. You know, it's that kind well, of look. You've got the Sting, then, haven't you? That's, that's, well, you do. I suppose you yeah. do. Yeah, you've got the Sting, haven't you? Yeah, which is obviously slightly earlier. Yeah. Um, I suppose they were working. They were working harder in the Sting than just looking good and being cool. Um, like the Sting was like a proper movie, whereas yes. this, this, this does. No, this is not a proper movie, but it feels more like a romp. It's like, like yeah, you know, you know, you're going to enjoy watching Sean Connery do his stuff, and he's going to do his stuff. Yeah, you're right. 
it isn't it isn't necessarily a criticism of this, but I suppose it is to a certain extent because the the Sting is a much better movie than this. But this yeah. is this is a different beast, isn't it? And so you can kind of deal with it in in you've got to you've got to you've got to watch this film on its own terms, haven't you? Yeah. Right, and and you can still enjoy it for that, even though you kind of know it isn't a, 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 it isn't up there with the Sting level of quality, I guess. Um, but I mean, uh, Connery is an interesting character, an interesting actor in this as well. I mean, so so is Donald Sutherland because I think welcome to Connery first, as you say, he's in that he was in that weird period off between the Bond kind of sessions, I suppose. Where I think he was trying to find uh, trying to find roles that were against type. Yeah. But I don't think he manages it ever because he, he's still that suave. What do you think about Marnie? Marnie was he was yes. quite, he was quite scary in Marnie. Yeah, I suppose he was quite scary in Marnie. Yeah, ex- yes, that's true. That's true, and that's a similar era, isn't it? But Sutherland as well. You know, around this time he'd made um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He'd made. Um, don't look now, which are quite, quite di- you know, difficult, tough films, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and um, here he, he, I know he lords it up basically, doesn't he? He's just, well, he's he's, 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 just he's leaning back on fast. I guess things like Kelly's Heroes when he's playing Odd. Yeah, because um, he, he yeah. can do a good character piece, like a, not a, quite a comic turn, but a very funny character. And and Agar is is very much that. He's um, he's he's like so he has his moments. He's he's he does almost steal the, the scenes he's in. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Um, I wanted, I wanted. So there's a few things I like about this film. There's some things I'm I'm less keen on, but I did want to talk um, to start with a, with the way that the film looks. And this, so it it looks fantastic. Um, it's got that real Victorian vibe about it, which, to be honest, is like catnip for me. Um, I can't, oh, I just can't get enough of it, and I, I don't even really know why. I think there's another film. Um, have you seen the young is it the adventures of young sherlock holmes i have yes yeah i like that yeah and a, a completely different film but it reminded me of that kind of vibe you know that it's it it's kind of murky it's um it's dark and dingy it's yeah. got that real kind of like oh governor people down the back streets in the dirt and stuff like that and, you know you've yeah, got hangings yeah. and all. it's like a, it's a really interesting time and i think this this it's this it, it's an it's a bottomless pit of um film kind of imagination i think you, you can you can put anything in victorian times and it would just be it would look and feel great yeah i was thinking it's it's brilliantly realized the period setting because because you're not consciously aware that they've done it in period setting it is literally like no. they've 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 gone into victorian times and filmed like the french connection <laughs> because yeah. it's the, it's not just you know they've done a street and they have you know horse and carriages going back and forth across it you are chasing characters through streets and into buildings and back out of buildings and it looks like it, it looks like the world never ends um mm. which which is exactly it. it you you feel yourself in it which i think is very well done and you're right it is it's the filth of the world as well as the glamour of the world you're not just looking at beautiful um train stations or archways or gentlemen's clubs you're in amongst the dirt too and it's it's yeah. A, yeah, a lot of the production really must have, well, a lot of the, the production effort went on making it feel like a Victorian yeah. plan. And there the, the never, there never seems to be anything in between in Victorian representations on the film. It, 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 it's either, it's either the gentlemen's clubs, isn't it, or the you know the the Raj or stuff yeah. like that, or it is squalor. You don't often see like I don't know what what were the middle classes like in Victorian times. Was there such a thing as a middle class? You were either yeah, born were in the boring. dirt. Yeah, they, 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 were. they were living out in the in the incipient suburbs. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. And I suppose 
the mores of the time or the morals of the time didn't enable them to do anything particularly interesting. It was only those that were super rich or, or had power or those that were in the squalor and, and um, that the, the, the stories are about. You know, so, yeah, there's that about it. So, it, it, to be honest, the film could be terrible and it isn't. And the film could be terrible and probably still enjoyed that look and feel of it because there's just something yeah. about it. Um, and this is the, this is the era of the great tale isn't it the stories and the almost i I tend to think that almost all of the kind of big action films and the big kind of narrative driven stories you get nowadays they're born out of those adventure adventure stories from from the 19th century i think you know it's this all i think this is where this is where the action novel was born right this is it and so everything is based on this kind of structure so i, I like that feel of it uh, that's the I, thing the, the entire the entire background of the, of the that drives the plot is the fact that britain and france were at war with russia in the crimea and every month yeah, exactly. the other the men yeah. have to get paid and it's like there's just a war on that's it it's like no one yeah. ever mentions it apart from the fact <laughs> it's the crimean gold no one's yeah, bothered it remotely exactly. it's like yeah we're at war with russia it's all right and, there's uh, no they, political kind of context here is there other than the fact that it's a it's a macguffin isn't it for the gold yeah yeah which is which is great it's like oh it's one of those things that happened in the 19th century <laughs> yeah yeah definitely now d- i have to say despite the fact that i do think that the way that the film looks is 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 fantastic in its i think in its close production and by that i mean when we're in in, in and amongst the dirt and the squalor or when we're in the gentlemen's clubs or the boudoirs or the country estates i think it looks well i think it looks good there is a couple of things that really took me out though so there's a couple of matte a lot of the backgrounds have matte paintings in them um because because it's it's studio work and that's part of the that's actually part of the real kind of um uh why it looks good in some instances because a lot of the filming isn't actually filmed on the on the streets of as it was it was ireland i think they did a lot of the filming but they did a lot of studio work as well but there's there's a couple of scenes um particularly when um particularly when clean willie escapes from newgate prison and you see him climbing up and over the the roofs and there's the hanging that takes place in the middle of the actual kind of courtyard as it were and there's a big matte painting of um st paul's cathedral in the background and um, i'll be honest with you i think i could have done a better job (laughs) on on drawing that and i am terrible at drawing and so for, for me i was thinking all i could look at was the matte painting I'm thinking, could they? Who did they get to draw this? I mean, could then they have got someone a bit better? Now, it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism of matte paintings in because I love, I love the feel of a studio shot street scene with a kind of the trick of depth perception by having a matte painting in the background. I love that. I think it's really good, but that wasn't good and um i don't think it's a lack of this is like 1978 the best matte painters were making you know star wars pictures they were they were sketching out hot by this point i disagree you know what i i think the idea that um i think the idea that this so this is the thing star wars is is used a lot i think in yeah. in the late 70s as the reason why films didn't do that well <laughs> or, or the reason why perhaps you know things weren't as good as they could because it, it it's such a it's such a cultural behemoth it takes over doesn't it it takes over everything else you can't really see you can't see it. it's a bit like in the you know whenever i watch a film set in the 1930s or even made in the 1930s actually probably made in the 1930s watch an early film made in the 1930s i can't get it doesn't matter what the film's about all i keep thinking about is the fact that most of the people in this film are going to be at war in about five years and they're going to be dead <laughs> 
<laughs> right. That's all I can think about because I think, oh, you just don't know what's coming, do you? And so, you know, it's retrospective, isn't it? It's retrospective because at the time you didn't know. And, you know, if you watch something like Black Narcissus yeah. um, or some of the Powell and Pressburger films from the 40s, the matte paintings in there, they are sumptuous. They're works of art. And so I don't think it would have taken a lot just to find someone who was good at drawing St. Paul's Cathedral just to stick that in the background. Yeah. But, but, you know, that's a minor point. St. Paul's Cathedral, it's not changed much, is it? You could, you could just take a photo and slap it up. <laughs> exactly. It's important. It's one of the most iconic buildings in the country, right? It's not that difficult to do. Look, I'm picking on it because when everything else is done well, production-wise, that really stands out. And it's little things like that that really get on my nerves a little bit, I guess, really. Um, so although the production values are, are good, um, there's just a few things that I think, you know, would have would really elevated it, really, in, in that context. But but I do agree with you that, that um, a, a Victorian set um romp is i mean it you know it could be 90 percent terrible and i'm still going to enjoy it <laughs> i mean that's just how it is isn't it yeah. um so i like if you can, I, if you can move from the if you can, anything more on the other set because we can go no, link into that to the, the practical yeah. effects oh, if you so will. this is the other thing yeah. i was going to say so the production the production style i really liked notwithstanding the matte paintings but the production style i really liked um and i think i've mentioned this on a number of different occasions but Give me a film with practical effects oh, over computer-generated effects any day of the week. And it's one of the reasons why I gave, and I, I think you, you almost, but I gave The Long Kiss Goodnight five stars. Or one of the reasons why I'm particularly fond of Darkman, because there, it is a choice, isn't it? I mean, it's not a choice in the first great train, would it? I appreciate, but there's a choice about doing practical effects. Now, there's no choice here. And so the practical effects in the first great train will be aren't massive explosions or planets being blown up or anything like that. It's a, a real man, as it happens, a real Sean Connery on the top of a real train going really at 55 miles an hour, really going under bridges. So that's pretty good. Yeah. Give me that. Give me that any day. I want I want threat. I want danger. I don't think yeah, that was more danger than the Sean Connery bargain for. Because oh, like he was he yeah. was told it would be moving at a leisurely 25 miles an hour. Um, I know, I know. And also there's I mean, th there's a few there's a few scenes there where he loses his footing. And it's in the it's in the film. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, this is why again, this is why yeah, <laughs> it worked so well as a as a practical effect because he wasn't against a green screen, you know, with a with a fan blowing and no, wobbling no, around. No, no. He's literally fighting for his life up there. <laughs> but there, I mean, but like, like, I don't know about you, but there were a couple of moments which took my breath away. Um, so th there's there's one scene where the the bridges so. Connery's facing the camera and the yeah. camera is pointing in the direction of the, 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 the train that's, that it's traveling in, right? So you can see behind him, but obviously Sean Connery can't see what's behind him. And there's a bridge coming and it Jeez, doesn't look yeah. big. Yeah. It, you know, the gap between the bottom of the bridge and the top of the train is not big. And Sean Connery is, his head is going to get hit by this bridge. And suddenly he just dips below. And I think, how the f excuse me, I almost swore then, but yeah. what? And yeah. there's another bit where he's on the, on the side of the train that goes through a tunnel. And I'm thinking there's like a millimeter gap between the back of Sean Connery and the side of that tunnel. Whew, I problem. mean, he's going back with his bundle of clothes and he drops the bundle of clothes and has to go back and grab them. Which yeah, he, it's he real. real. It really happened. Um, it really happened. And he almost fell off the train. 
Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> it's remarkable. Now, I, I, I presume that there weren't the same, um, I don't know, uh, kind of union code at the time like they might have now. And, you know, goodness me. I mean, fair play to Sean Connery there. Um, and actually, well, just the union code, apparently the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the animal humane uh, yeah. signifies did not appear at the end of this because to, to simulate a, a terrier killing a lot of rats, yeah. they just put a terrier in and killed a lot of rats. Well, yeah, they did, didn't they? And it, it, it is real. Um, yeah. I'm also slightly concerned about the monkey at the end as well. There's a monkey in the film, which we haven't even mentioned, but there is a <laughs> monkey in the film which doesn't look particularly calm um, in, in its cage in the yeah, train. This, this is in the dry run. To get Don Sutherland <laughs> in it, yeah, he poses a, a one-eyed monkey trainer who must yeah. ride in the carriage with the monkey or he gets upset. So they, yeah. they haven't made the rules yet, so they allowed him in there. But yeah, yeah, the monkey is basically just screaming in the cage, which is never a good thing to see. Because no. you, so, you assume he's carrying a disease. Yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah. So look, give me practical effects any day of the week. And actually, um, there's another film that we've done in um, Weekend at Crombies, which I think does matte paintings and practical effects and really, really cracking practical stunt work well. And do you know what it is? Go on. Cliffhanger. Oh, cliffhanger. So, you know, for me, if you get both of those things right, woof, we're on a, we're on a winning a winning streak there. But um, yeah, practical effects, oh, love them. And fair play to Sean Connery, blind. Well, I will say, now, now having, uh, since since we've seen cliffhanger, now I'm an experienced zipliner having gone <laughs> on some holidays. I, I because you know, I've done the whole kind of, you know, make, make sure your carabiners are safe, go through the safety checks. I wonder how that could, accident could have happened at the start because there's, there's, they, there's a lot of belt and braces involved in hooking yourself onto a carabiner. And uh, yeah. I, oh, uh, maybe, maybe Weekend at Crombies 3 can be a deep dive review into the review of Cliffhanger over four <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't change my score of the film, but I'll just say that, uh, you know, I, uh, I can I know we're around a carabiner now. Yeah, well, it was more, I tell you, going back to the cliffhanger, apologies. The first I, thing. I will say, actually, I did keep calling it a carbonara when I was blinding. <laughs> carbonara. As I was flailing around with my, my ropes and my hooks, just like, I've, I've lost my carbonara. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking more of the um, the zip wire between the uh, the planes. Oh my goodness! Yes. Now, if, if, if that, if that you, I'm prepared to accept was quite difficult. Yeah, if you were doing anything like that on holiday, Hugh, I I think you've probably you've probably got the wrong train and ended up somewhere you didn't really want to be. I suppose. If you my my, my first my first goal in any danger activity is to make myself seem as incompetent as possible, <laughs> so the instructor knows exactly what level they're operating at. I don't I, want any assumption of competence going on there. Well, that's my tactic at work as well. <laughs> and in life, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's go back to the let's go back to the first great trade robbery. Uh, yes, yes. Um, anything else from your perspective on the themes? I've got a few more things I want to say, but handing it back over to you. Um, no, I think I think I've got that all. I suppose uh, the character of Miriam, we've 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 touched upon Leslie Andown. Um, it's not awful. She is a oh, little no. bit eye candy, but she does play a role in the gang. Um, she is yeah. she is some to some extent someone for Edward to to give his plans to. She, but she is to some extent, you know, an active player. She, she's critically getting at least one of the keys. Um, but it's, it's. I would say, in terms of the time it was made and the way it was written, it's passable. It's like a C minus in terms of yeah. female representation. Not so great, I, not terrible. I, I agree with you. I've written here. Um, I wasn't really sure what the point of the Leslie Ann Down character was, outside of providing a, a, um, a, a female um, kind of, pers- not even a perspective really, but just having a different kind of context to the film, a different angle with, with it, within, within which some of the kind of plot activity happens. I mean, I can understand why she's in the film because 
actually in terms of the getting the key she plays a role in one of them but i'm sure they could have figured something else out if they didn't do that but here's can i say something controversial here Hugh? because i i I, I, I think i think we might differ on this a little bit so um there's a couple of things that I, I found a bit grating about the film to be honest um and a lot of it is to do with the casting actually now connery i think is fantastic in this I think he's brilliant um, and got no qualms there. I think the, the gimmicky casting of Wayne Sleep, um, I mean, you know, he, he is not an actor. He is not. Right. Yeah. So there is that. And I think if you're going to cast Wayne Sleep because of his, his ballet dancing, yeah. you've got to make sure he can act as well. And that kind of was a bit disappointing. But, you, you know, say gimmicky enough. dancing. Who's buying a ticket because Wayne Sleep has a secondary role in it? You're going to get the ballet crowd. <laughs> But he also doesn't really do any of that either. He just, he, I'm say, he just climbs a wall. It's quite impressive. But yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he has, a, he obviously has a slender figure. Obviously, mm. perfect for a, a cat burgling uh, thief. But you're right; it doesn't need to be Wayne Sleep. And right. I don't, I don't think they got it because he was Wayne Sleep. I think they just got it because he was a famous ballet dancer. Um, do you remember, I don't I mean, think, was I, ballet big in the late seventies? No, as as in they thought they, they they need someone who was live and therefore I don't, maybe he's got a really good agent because I, I, you're not selling tickets on the basis of getting Wayne no, Sleep. No, you're there. not. I don't. I and, wouldn't imagine that anyone in the in in the US would even know who he is. I mean, no, maybe I they would in the late seventies. I don't know, but also if he's no, if he's not dancing either, it's not like they hide it. Really. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's not doing the thing that you know Wayne Sleep does. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, it's like having Brian Glover and you know having him uh, do needlepoint. It's like that's not it's not Brian Glover's strong suit. Yeah, you want Brian Glover shouting at people. Yeah, that's what you want, isn't it? Um, but here's perhaps the most controversial thing okay. that I'm about to say. Um, I didn't think that the chemistry between Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland was that great. Oh. And I have to say, I found Agar. St- quite irritating in the way that the boy in Speed Racer was quite irritating. (laughs) (laughs) That is controversial. Look, not as bad as that, obviously not as bad as that. Donald Sutherland is a heavyweight actor. Um, But I found his, I found the affectation, I I found them affectations rather than, rather than um, kind of rompy, interesting, funny um, kind of character traits, right? And um, I could, I didn't think it, I didn't think he I didn't think it was well acted. I didn't think he was just on it. I don't know. It was just something about the way that he was mumbling his lines and he he was weirdly extravagant. And here's the here's the most controversial thing, right? I don't even really know what he brought to the film. If he wasn't in the film other than sticking keys in wax, <laughs> right? So the, the the scene where the scene where he has to get the, the two keys out of the um out of the office yeah. uh, 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 London Bridge Station, right? Why does he need to do that? What can't can't Wayne Sleep do that? He's there. He's in the office. All he has, he's opened the door. All he has to do is get the team, put it in some wax. Oh, a bit more than that is uh, takes. See, but then he can give it. He can give it to Donald Sutherland afterwards. Yeah. Why does yeah. Donald Sutherland have to be there? All he's doing is running into the office to find a key and put it in wax. Look, Wayne Sleep is already in the office. <laughs> he's in there. All he's done is open the door. Yeah. Just and he's already unlocked the cabinet. That the keys are in. So I just didn't, I just, and also in the train, I didn't think that Donald Sutherland needed to be there because if you think the fact that um, um, Michael Elphick character was bought off, yeah, just buy him off. Now, admittedly, <laughs> you've not got Donald Sutherland in the film, right? Which is maybe what you want. But if I want Donald Sutherland in the film, I want a good Donald Sutherland in the film. I don't want a hokey 
comedy pastiche Donald Sutherland doing a weird Irish accent. I just, I don't know. We see, I would say, again, without, without defending anything what you've, you've laid down, is that um, Agar, the role of Agar in the film, is firstly to be kind of the, the sounding board for Pierce. Firstly, because they they talk about, you know, we need a snakesman, who can get clean willy. It's not the kind of conversation you'd have with Miriam, because she, no, uh, being an actress, is from that criminal world. He So Agar's much into the criminal world. Um, you have that kind of double act where they have to break into things together. You also need him to do the ridiculous things that, Pierce couldn't do without like it's it's Agar is the one that has to wear the eye patch and carry the monkey around. It's he's mm. the one that has to be the cholera victim in the coffin. It's that I'm not saying any of this was critical to the plot. Sure, but, but it's but it, it it's gives what makes that, the film it, the film though, isn't it? It gives it yeah that that kind of a team hijinks where someone has to get in disguise. Mm. And if and if Pierce is going around wearing funny wigs and, and false moustaches, he's not as cool as as, no, as he should be. I, I agree with that. I, I I agree with that. And so in that regard, perhaps I will slightly retract my controversy. It's not that I don't think that the Agar character is not is is redundant in the film, yeah. but because of that, because of what you've described there, I think they needed a better way in the film to make his role actually practically useful, as well as being the foil for yeah. for Pierce, as it were. Because, and this is the kind of thing that takes me out of films a little bit. I didn't understand why he had to go in to the office. It created, I mean, don't get me wrong. The tent, it, it raised the tension, the fact that he had to get into the office and back again in 75 seconds. But I'm thinking they didn't need, to, this Sean Connery character is supposed to be this kind of brilliant, um, you know, criminal mastermind almost. Like he's thought out every last bit of this. Just get just get um, Clean Willy to do it. And then, yeah. you know, cl get Clean Willy to put the keys in the wax and then give it to Agar afterwards. And I appreciate that means that you don't get that scene where he's running in. So that's yeah. fine. But then for me, so the film what, is what, kind what, of cheating. Yeah. It's kind of what cheating. What this could have saved is, is with a 30 second scene of them practicing it and saying, oh, look, Clean Willy's tried to make a copy. It doesn't work. It needs to be Agar in there because you need to have like a master's. master's yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Make, anyway, make if, it if, honest. If, but then but then Agar doesn't really do much in the film, does he? All he does, all he is, is that person who is... Because he didn't. Why does? Why does? He, so why does he need to be there in the wine cellar? He doesn't need to make the copies. That's it. If, well, if, well, if, yeah, if but who can't, can't Connery do that? But that's the point. You're saying this, and it, yeah, it does look like he's just pressing a key into wax four times. But if he's, you, if you, <laughs> that's exactly what he's doing. But he's he's the only one that makes these these impressions. So you have to accept the reality of the film is that he is the one that needs to do it. And perhaps the character of Agar. It, well, yes, I have to accept the reality of the situation. And I think my problem is, is that I didn't. Yeah. And so I was more, I was concerned with these foibles. It's like the matte painting, I suppose, really. Yeah. If I really, really, really loved the film, it wouldn't have bothered me. Yeah. So there was some, obviously something else. Here. And I think maybe, you know, you can review films you haven't seen, right? And I think we, we're both guilty of this a little bit in films that we've watched. Yeah. I, I possibly would have liked a slightly darker version of this film, which focused on Pierce's um kind of contradictory character a little bit more i would have quite liked it if in the end um he got away with the the twenty five thousand pounds of of crimean gold and um shafted um literally and down Donald yeah, she, that she would have been more in keeping with the character i think yeah because she was she was saying like where will we go after this and he goes we'll go to paris and she's delighted yeah. to hear that he's still keeping true to his word yeah. but you're right that, that would again we're rewriting the film now but yeah exactly um, yeah i think 
well, I'll finish off the thought here is, um, yeah, if, if we'd seen that Agar was frightened of Pierce, because he's never frightened of Pierce, he's no. he's his boss and he's he's ranting at him because um, he, he um, but he's never scared of him in the way that he knows he could mm. keep, kill Queen. And here's another thing is I on this viewing, I only realized it was Trent that killed. Um, yeah, it wasn't Trent. Was it, um, yeah, it was. It was Trent. It was Trent that killed um, Clean Willie. Isn't it Sharp? Was the um, I say the the, the butler? Because I think Trent is the is the um, is the president. Either way, the um, the the henchman guy is the one that clings Clean Willie because it's quite dark. When I saw oh, yes. the film, um, I saw all I saw was a man in a beard throttle him, and I thought, well, given thought that Pierce was, was chasing yeah, him, yeah. I thought Pierce had done the deed himself, and that makes a lot more sense because this guy who just drives the carriage, yes, you'd imagine Pierce would get him to do the dirty work, but it doesn't connect us with it anymore um so if if we'd seen that agar was yeah was frightened of 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 um, pierce in the way that we should be because he's a killer that would make more sense and, and again ripping them all off is a nice twist but it doesn't yeah. give us that glorious because you, 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 you can tell by the music actually the music starts the film um with again uh sean connery's very level tones yeah. describing how the gold is laid yeah, it's and, like documentary and, and, style yeah, almost, and, and he's doing it as as um as Burgess is fighting this this chancer in the carriage and throws him out and breaks his neck, so it starts with yeah. a fist fight and ends yeah, with a man dead. Yeah. But then he goes, but in 1855 there had never been a robbery from a train, <laughs> yeah. and then the music just goes. Ring, ding, ding. Oh, and, then, and that was the other thing actually, yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. The music is, sets your expectations. The music sets the expectations. Doesn't oh, it? This yeah, is going right. to be a jolly romp. It's yeah. not, even though you've seen someone die and you've had this overtone, it's going to be a romp. It's la 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 la, and the, the yeah. music the music there levels you to that. So you would have to change a lot to make this a different kind of film. You, you would, but then if it's going to be a romp, have um, Edward Pierce as a purely likable character without exactly. the ambiguity. Yes. yes and there yes. is ambiguity there and it's never really followed through. And I just oh, I wanted to see a little bit more because you said, you know, Ocean's Eleven, it's like Ocean's Eleven made in the 1970s. Yeah. But, you know, you, you know, you know that these characters aren't wholesome characters because they're involved in criminality but that doesn't matter you just you know, want to be more you want to be and dump his body. Yeah, exactly you, you want moral you don't want moral ambiguity you, you want you, you want them to have their own morals but you want that moral consistency don't you yeah and i find that a bit boring i quite like the idea of moral ambiguity i think that's interesting and this film kind of it, it, it opens the creak of the door a little bit to this this other film that was happening where where Connery was morally ambiguous and it really kind of went into that. I thought, oh God, where's that? What's that film called? Let me watch that film. Um, and um, yeah, but that's a different film, isn't it? It's not the film, that's not yeah. the film that this is. So I think kind of, be a, yeah. that's probably not the kind of film you see on a Sunday afternoon with your dad. It probably isn't though. It yeah. probably I will, Yeah, I will finish the thought though, again, what's Agar doing there? I would probably say the main role of Agar is to be the little John to um, Edward's Robin Hood. Mm. He's just the guy. Yeah. That's the, he's just that, the guy that does the secondary stuff and and is his mate. But then I could I could ex again I could accept it more if it was someone like you know you got Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson where they are affiliated they know each other anyway they're partners perhaps but yeah. you know um, Pierce seeks Agar out. Yeah. For what? To put some keys in some wax. And again, I'm, I, that's, that's, I know what you mean by you have to accept the reality of what's presented in front of you because of that. That's what the that's what it is. But gosh, you could get over it. Like, <laughs> he's just putting keys in wax. Why is he in the wine cellar? I mean, the, the wine cellar. He's causing a fuss. He's sneezing. He's creaking the blooming gate. I know. I get rid of him. He's, yeah, he's, he's funny. He's a terrible housebreaker. Yeah, he but is, I, I tell you what. I, when I saw this as a kid, I was enthralled by the idea you could make wax impressions of keys and oh, copy yeah. them. I was like, oh, wow, that's yeah. fantastic. Look, a little uh, case as well, a little tin case with wax in it. It's like it's a proper kit and everything. But why don't more people do this? 
I think you can do it now. Well, no, maybe not. I you probably could actually. You, you, oh, you, you, you could do it like a Yale lock. You could depress in wax. Easy, I reckon. And also, I was thinking, how satisfying. <laughs> you know, like you know, I'm just trying to think. There's this kind of ASMR stuff, isn't there? Yeah. Where it's really how how satisfying would the feeling of pushing the key into wax feel? Oh, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? It'd like be putting your hand in blancmange or something like that. Like, oh, this is fantastic. You see, little little reveal about how I get my kicks. Um, you mentioned at the start of this um, review, Hugh that um, you, you wanted to kind of go into a little bit of detail about why the film might not have been successful. Now, I'd just slightly counter that because the, the film doubled its budget at the box office. So yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't successful, but it has subsequently been forgotten, I think. Yeah, budget of 7 million, box office 13. So not awful. Um, oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. No, but again, like I say, not you. You say you know I'm I'm, I'm going to avoid the S word again. But yeah. you say successful films of the late seventies. This is not <laughs> this is not on the list. God, <laughs> we yeah no it isn't on no 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 it isn't on the list. You're right. Um, uh, yeah. And I yeah. I do think again despite again also despite having one of the biggest stars of the decade in there. I mean like Sean Connery, you know he was he was off the James Bond franchise anyway. He was doing his experimental things, and it was before his kind of eighties renaissance. But you know you put him in as the headline of your yeah, film, it draws attention, yeah. and Donald Sutherland as well. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I wonder whether it, and this is going to sound a bit odd, but I wonder if it's just a bit too um, British, maybe. Yeah. And, but I mean, there's just. It, I mean, you look at the cast. You got Pete. I mean, it just in in minor roles. You got Peter Butterworth, Janine um, Devicki, I think, who was in the Britass Empire, who plays no, uh, Waiting for God. Oh, that's it. Yeah, Waiting for God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Michael Elphick, Wayne Sleep, Brian Glover, obviously. Um, <coughs> it's a. I don't know. Maybe it isn't too British, but because you got Donald Sutherland as well, I guess. But um, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, there's there's something a bit colloquial about it, perhaps. It is because um, it's 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 that it's that ITV Sunday afternoon thing, isn't it? It is. It's just that feel for me. I think yeah. had this been made ten years earlier, it might have looked a bit special. Mm. I, I, I don't know why, because it's, it's a period piece. But it would look wow, moving trains racing across. Mm. And now thinking, cinema had moved on from that, and they mm. wanted to see something again out of this world or, or really get blockbuster. Basically, the, 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 the idea that um, the B movie had become. All. You want to see a giant shark, you want to see an alien, you want to see spaceships, you want to see something huge, or I guess by the, the 70s you still want to see those kind of intimate portrayals that, that you know really tell something. And this falls between the cracks too. It's a spectacle, but it's mm. not a big, big spectacle. I think you're right. I mean, I hate to evoke the S word, but it, I think it's not it's not necessarily Star Wars per se, but it's what Star Wars represents, right? It's that shift from the more collo colloquial to the to the extravagant i mean you know look, look what we've got now which is born out of that kind of late 70s um blockbuster i guess really isn't it so this was released what 77 78 78 yes yeah. so it's, it's on the heels of star wars yeah i suppose it is there was really, still star wars mania everywhere yeah you, and this, yeah. this is probably pulling its money from i guess the grown-up crowd who had no Did interest you? in star wars and wanted to see a nice yeah. period drama with sean connery who remembered it from james bond or whatever yeah but it's grandparents not... it'd be grandparents wouldn't it it would be it would be it'd be itv sunday afternoon crowd wouldn't yeah. it yeah it's exactly what it would be yeah so 78 you had um you get superman as well uh yeah you're right i think yeah 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 that's probably it, isn't it? Yeah, and so I think it 
it's had it been earlier, would it have been, what, you know, just saying the city was made in the 60s, would it have been successful or would it just have that feel to it? Well, I don't know. I don't know, you know, because I can't I can't think of many. Well, there's a heist film from the 60s, which I really like, called The Train, ironically, with, a, <laughs> with Burt Lancaster. And it's about um, it's about Nazis um, trying to it's at the end of the war. It's about Nazis trying to get the um, the art out of France. Yeah. Um, and uh, Burt Lancaster is basically trying to rescue the art. Yeah, right. So he puts it on a train. And he, it's a fantastic film. And it's like a heist film, basically. Yeah. But it's the heist the other way around, where Burt Lancaster is trying to protect. The, <laughs> the, cool. Yeah, it's really good. It's a really, 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 really good film. Um, it's definitely worth watching. Um, but it's a tougher film. And I think the 60s was a bit tougher. It's yeah. a tougher decade in, in, in filmmaking. This, if this was made in the 60s, it would maybe more have been about the ambiguity yeah, of Edward true. Pierce's kind of psyche, I guess, really. And it would have been a different film. It, it, might, it might have piqued my interest a bit more. I don't know. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, there's a lot going for it. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm a bit down on it. I, I very much enjoyed the film. Um, and, but actually, and again, I don't mean this to say it's damning with faint praise, but if it was on a Sunday afternoon or a bank holiday on ITV, I would sit down and watch this and I would watch it again. I was entertained throughout. Yeah, it's a, again, it's, it's a solid romp. It's, um, I think the plot of the story is quite tight. It's, um, again, if there's no, <laughs> rain sleep notwithstanding there's no there's no obvious there's no uh, duds clunk, there? no duds in it yeah no there, there are no duds in it and, no. it's, and it's still quite enjoyable again i've, I've seen it many yeah. times now and i still enjoy the process of them getting the keys um pulling one over on the establishment yeah. and that uh, is and, fun and isn't pulling it? the high stuff yeah but you and know, the fact but, that it doesn't always go to plan like i say there yeah. is the they, they make a couple of attempts on the ticket office so you know it's difficult and you know they have to yeah. again they, have to, they bring in extra help and they've got it, it's that victorian slang they've got the specialities yeah they um, do and everyone's got their own yeah. role to play in this kind of stuff. And what, what, what it does well is is what every good heist movie should do. Um, it's split into two parts, isn't it? You have the planning of the heist yeah. and you have the heist. And it does both of those things well, I think. Um, yeah. I think the actual heist itself, purely for the spectacle of Sean Connery, is fantastic. And as I say, honestly, I was this I found more exciting, you know, the final 20 minutes or so is more exciting than I don't know any oh I'm even joking I don't want to bank I don't want to bring it up but any Marvel film I've seen yeah honestly just, to get into it, the roof is cursed the, 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 the roof of the train carriage is not a flat walkway no, for him to go on it's no, not like a freight there's, train there's like chimneys on it as well this, it's well, air good holes. job because he has something to cling on to at one point yeah, no. <laughs> when he when he falls down his leg is over the side and he's hanging, hanging onto the chimney for dear life little so, dear life so that, you know what that goes a long way for me yeah. <laughs> it goes a long way it really 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 does maybe i'm a simple man but i don't know it, it's almost like you know give me an actual car chase yeah. right you know or someone hanging off the edge of a, a, a train it's like but, um yeah, it's, 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 they, they didn't waste that train journey there were a few cutaways you know to, to give him breathing space yeah. where we, we had some comedy between yeah. henry Fowler and miriam and and this kind of stuff but basically the tension is right there um because it, it's it's slower going there than going back i think it's partly because the bridge he has to avoid partly because he's, mm. he's new to it because when he's going back he's, he's almost sprinting across because you've done that you've done the train but now you just want to get back to his carriage but going across you feel Ooh. you feel that because he's it's God. not like, oh, I'm on top of the train, la la la, I'll skip across the top. He has to, he's like halfway climbs down a ladder to the next carriage. He leans over. He does what you do if you were a normal human being trying to traverse an incredibly dangerous situation. Yeah, um, and, and the tension's wrapped up for it. It's, it's, it's not wasted. And I think, again, in a, in a more modern movie that had a faster pace, 
you there'd be lots of quick cuts, lots oh, there of everything, be. and you wouldn't get a sense of the danger. I don't think, or or you'd know because of your you, you you've got good cinematic language. Yeah. You'd know that there isn't he you know the actor isn't in danger. Yeah, because no one in their right mind would put uh, their top actor or any actor in that kind of situation. What was the insurance for him doing that? I just it's a bit mind, <laughs> the mind boggles. That's why I love that. That's why that whole sequence is fantastic. It's, and it is really just literally a man walking on top of a train. Yeah, or clinging in some <laughs> clinging, I suppose. Yeah. Well, look, we have we've thoroughly dissected the first great train robbery. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about it? No, I think we've we've been a good run there. We have, we have indeed. Well, we've. Um, I was just about to say we've pulled into Folkestone, but you've already said that. <laughs> <laughs> as, as James withdraws his hand from the blancmange. Uh, oh, hang on. Have, do I have any blancmange? <laughs> <laughs> we will. We will steam into the final leg of our journey. Ah yes, dear listener, it's um, it's that favourite time of the podcast that everyone loves so much. That's right, it's nearly the end. But before we do wrap up for the evening, um, we have to give the scores on the doors. Indeed. Um, so uh, as tradition befits you, um, what are you going to give the first great train robbery? Uh, I think again, I'll stick. I'll stick to my guns. It is a good fun romp. Um, it has its drawbacks but it's thoroughly watchable and i would recommend it to anyone so i'm going to give it three out of five three out of five now that's very interesting because i um think that the review that i gave was perhaps slightly more negative than you but i'm going to give it three out of five as well because i think it's weird i think it's um, i think it's an entertaining romp i would watch it again and um despite my misgivings about some of the casting um I was entertained throughout, certainly never bored. And to be honest with you, um, that's good enough for me. So three out of five. Uh, yeah. And bring bring on bring on the practical effects. Let's get Sean Connery back. <laughs> <laughs> that would involve a very practical effect to achieve that. It now. would. Sutherland's still around though, isn't he? No, he's not. They're both gone. What? When yeah. did Donald Sutherland go? You're making me I, I think I think I'm going to have to Google it now because otherwise I, I've prematurely announced the death of Donald Sutherland, but I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah. I don't think this is going to end up on the news, you <laughs> <laughs> Idiot podcasters. Yeah. Um, Donald Sutherland. Uh, oh, he is apparently still active. My, my apologies, <laughs> Mr. Sutherland. Um, I wish you many more years of acting. Uh, I mean, what? He's 87. So, you know, come on. It's not long for this world. How dare you? He's still he's still got a couple of good films left in him. I suppose he's he's Hopkins Hopkins esque in his. Uh, he could still win an Oscar, couldn't he? You never know. Anyway, let's let's, <laughs> let's stop apologising to Donald. Let's, let's not apologise for one of one of the twentieth century's finest actors. He doesn't need our apology, does he? Only the twenty first century. Indeed, indeed. Um, <laughs> indeed, any century, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> any century of your choosing, you could be the top actor. <laughs> Oh dear. We've recovered so, now. <laughs> yeah, we've recovered. Right. So um now let's find out what mm. we're really after is that what film will you be watching in August? Now um the film in August that we will be watching is The Andromeda Strain. Ooh. The Andromeda Strain. I'd say no more. Say no more. Say no more than that slight noise. But having having now set our course for the Andromeda Strain, uh we will uh Pull into Folkestone, but Nepal Long John's. Uh, <laughs> How many times can we pull into Folkestone? <laughs> loop, loop the key back over our head as uh, <laughs> as we close the close the hatch and seal the Chubb key gates. And oh, wish God. you all. <laughs> <laughs> Get the blomonge out. 
<laughs> Before I dilapse another coughing fit, I wish you all a very happy and a very healthy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. As, as a stats man, surely you must agree that uh, it's much less about the uh, the superstitious curse than the actual the, the team itself. Oh, definitely. <laughs> We're not yeah, banging exactly. them in on a regular recurrence and suddenly <laughs> no, stopping when yeah. you look away. <laughs> yeah, whether I watch it or not, they are still terrible. <laughs> But the thing is, you know, like um, old Johnson, he's not gone. He's still there. Who's still there? You know, Johnson. Johnson? Oh, God, yes. I, I, thought, about that. No, <laughs> you know I, mean, I thought you were talking about an Everton manager and I was yeah. prepared to carry that bluff. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, uh, Johnson. Johnson, the Everton oh, manager. Gordon Johnson. Yeah, him. 